0: Well, church, let me encourage you if you would to go ahead and grab your Bible or grab one of the Bibles that you see around you in the back of the seats there and join me in First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. And if if you're new to Shades this morning, we are so grateful that you're here, especially on the holiday weekend. Thank you for being here and being a part of what God is doing here at Shades Mountain. And I do want you to know we're we're walking through a series right now in First Peter. We've just been going verse by verse through this great letter that was written by the Apostle Peter, one of the original followers of Jesus, one of the the apostles, one of the first disciples who wrote this letter to the early church as a letter of encouragement and a letter of challenge to to, to say to the church, Church, you've been called to live in such a way in the world around you that people can see that there is something different in your life because of what Jesus has done. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in 1 Peter chapter three, verse 13. But but before we read the text, I do just want to say real quick uh, a word to Reagan, who's sitting right down here down front. So Reagan, who just did the welcome for us a moment ago and led us in the prayer time, she's one of our residents here at Shades Mountain. And I just want you to know that as we walk through 21 days of prayer, the prayer guide that you were using, Reagan developed that prayer guide. So y'all just join me in thanking her. It's so awesome. Reagan, I know you love this. But I want to thank you so much for what you're doing. And I'm just so grateful that we as a church have the opportunity to invite in the next generation to what God is doing here and to be in leadership and to be equipped and ready to serve. And Reagan, you've done a great job. So thank you so much for that. Church, let me encourage you now to stand with me as I read from the Word of God, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And if you're new to Shades Mountain or if you're joining us online, you're like, why are they standing back up? Well, we do this every week. We stand at the reading of God's word because we need a visual, physical, tangible reminder every single week that the church of Jesus Christ stands on the word of God. The word of God is our foundation. The word of God is unchangeable. It is immovable. It is the solid rock foundation on which we stand as the people of God. And it's here in the word of God that we get invited to see what God says is right and good and true. So listen with me as I read 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, For doing evil. These are some challenging verses because they're inviting us to see the way the Church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, are called to suffer and to suffer well. And so I realize that you may be here today and you're walking through a season of suffering or struggle or hardship. Maybe you've been in that season for a long time. I want you to know we, we have been praying for you. We are praying for you today we're praying that God would use this time to speak into all of our lives. And so I want to I pray together to that end right now, and then we'll be seated. So let's, let's go before the Lord and let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the privilege to gather and, and to hear your word laid before us. And so I pray that you would use this message, Father, to, to, to reveal to each and every one of us what, what you desire for us to see And I specifically pray, Lord, for those right now who are walking through a season of struggle or a season of suffering, who who are enduring hardship, who who are experiencing some kind of pain in the midst of their circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would draw near to them right now in this moment, that your Spirit would come, that the Comforter would minister to them, minister to us in our time of need and in, in, in affliction, Lord. I pray that you use this day for your glory. We need to hear from you. So come, Lord Jesus, come and speak to us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. So every time we step back into First Peter we are being reminded that this letter written to the early church really is, it's a call. It's a call to the church for the church to live as Peter describes in chapter one, in a certain way, as elect exiles. Elect exiles, what does that mean? That means that that the church is is to understand that, that the church has been set apart by God, chosen by God to to live for such a time as this and to live as as an exile, a a stranger in a foreign land. So that means the church is called to live different from the world around us, to live in such a way that the the world around us sees evidence of what what Christ has done, evidence of of what Christ has given us, evidence of, of the good news that we have Received. As we step into these verses on suffering, Peter is is saying to the church, the church is to to live a certain way in the midst of suffering. That the church is to to, to suffer in such a way, endure suffering in such a way that the world around us sees as, as we're gonna unpack here. The reason for hope. I just want to ask you right up front, do you have a reason for hope? Maybe you're here today because you're looking for hope. Maybe you're here today because a family member or a friend has said, hey, come to church with me. And you're going, you know, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really know what that's all about. But but, but deep inside you, there's this, this longing for for something that you haven't yet found. Maybe, maybe you're searching for hope. Do you have a reason for hope? A, a reason for hope in, in any circumstance? A, a reason for hope that does not change because of circumstance? A reason for hope that is steady, that is sure? It's where Peter is taking us here in this letter. Because as we all know, suffering is a reality that, that everyone is going to encounter in some form or fashion. Something that we're going to have to navigate at some point in our lives. And, and here Peter is showing us that the, the way the people of God navigate suffering should stand out as different from the world around us. So these verses are are really to be a guide. They're they're to help the church know how to suffer well so that our suffering is not in vain. So our suffering, in fact, is an opportunity for us us to grow in our faith, but also to be used by God in the midst of what we're walking through that others can see the, the reason for the hope that we have. There's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to in these verses. In fact, three specific things. That I believe the word of God is showing us and how the Christian should navigate suffering. Now, number one, we're going to see here is, is there's to be a gospel confidence. The, the Christian, the follower of Jesus should have a, a confidence even in the midst of suffering we're going to talk about. Secondly, we're going to see that the Christian is called to present a humble defense, a, a humble case for why we believe what we believe even in the midst of suffering. And the third, we're going to see that the the follower of Jesus, the Christian, is to have an eternal perspective in the midst of suffering, an eternal perspective that gives us a hope that is so much greater than than any circumstance we may navigate in difficulty. So let's step back in here in the scripture. Verse 13 of 1 Peter 1, this is where we see this gospel confidence that the church is called to in the midst of suffering. It says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. But gospel confidence, shouldn't we be talking about a gospel confidence when we're talking about all the great blessings of God? Shouldn't we be talking about a gospel confidence when we're talking about all the the good things in life and and the joy of life? I mean, why talk about gospel confidence when we're talking about suffering? You look at these verses. I don't know. if you see this, but when I see this in verse 13, I say, you know, I like what verse 13 says. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? That, that sounds great. I like that. I want to be zealous about doing good. And then I, I want to go, yeah, no one can harm me because I'm living the right way and doing the right thing. But then verse 14 says, but if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. That's a strange statement. Suffering usually doesn't feel like a blessing. Suffering is certainly not something we want in our lives. How how can suffering be a blessing? Well, here I believe the Word of God through Peter is reminding us that suffering has a way of showing us what is most important. And when suffering brings us to a place where we are evaluating and examining what is most important, that is actually a gift. It is a blessing. Suffering heightens our awareness to the promises of God and our need for the promises of God to be true. Suffering opens our eyes to say, I'm longing for hope. I need a hope that certainly is not about circumstance and certainly is not about things I acquire or certainly not about some some person I'm in, uh, a relationship with that's supposed to complete me. No, I need a hope that is so much bigger. Suffering has this way of bringing us face-to-face with what really is most important, and it it loosens our grip on the things we so often try to control, and it, it points us to the one who is ultimately in control. Suffering shows us, when we walk through a struggle, the truth of what God's Word reveals, that there is no circumstance in this life that can separate us from God's love if we are in Christ. And this gives a confidence, even in the midst of suffering, a a confidence in the finished work of Jesus that is the good news of the gospel, that, that props us up and holds us up as we walk through a season of difficulty or struggle. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. You may want to turn to Romans 8 real quickly, where there's this just beautiful discourse on the love of God and the gift of God through Jesus Christ and through the good news of the gospel. Paul writes this in Romans 8, beginning in verse 35. What shall separate us from the love of God? And then look at what he does, he lists a whole group of things that are suffering, why? Because he knows that when we suffer, especially at first, we are prone to stop and go, maybe, maybe God has abandoned me and that's why I'm suffering. Maybe God doesn't even see me and that's why I'm suffering. Maybe God is distant from me and that's why I'm suffering. Maybe God doesn't love me and that's why I'm suffering. Paul says oh oh what what can separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation distress persecution famine nakedness danger sword that's seven categories of suffering that I'll just be honest I don't want to endure that's hardship famine distress sword I mean this is this is serious real suffering Paul's going, I know if you're facing something that is so severe and so serious and so painful, you might wonder, does God love me? God, where where are you in this? I, have you abandoned me? Have you have you forsaken me? Have you left me? And then, and then Paul points us to. A statement that's really hard for us to hear. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, that's, that's suffering. That is serious right there. And he says, no. No, church. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the only way that you can know that is true is if you walk through a season of suffering and see that the love of God is still yours. So suffering has this way of showing us what's most important. It has this way of reminding us of our need for the love of God. and It has this way of bringing us closer to the love of God as we see a Savior who steps into our suffering, as we see a Savior who does something about our suffering by willing, willingly going to a cross and suffering on our behalf. And that gives us this confidence, this gospel Confidence in the midst of suffering, to, to be able to say that while suffering is real, suffering is not ultimate. And God is at work. Show me more of what I need to see here. Peter goes on to say in verses 13 and 14 that we just considered, "Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed." And then he says, verse 14, "Have no fear of them. Or be troubled. This is an interesting statement for Peter to make, especially if you know Peter's story. He says, Have no fear of those who who bring suffering into your life. Have no fear of those who might persecute you for your faith. Have no fear of those who might come at you because of what you believe. Don't be troubled. If you know Peter's story, you might think, Well, how can he say that? maybe you've heard this before, maybe you've never heard this before, but when Jesus was taken away to the cross, Peter, who was one of the primary disciples following Jesus, uh, a very close disciple of Jesus, you could even say a very close friend, maybe even best friend with Jesus in his time on earth, who has walked with Jesus for three years of his ministry. When, When Jesus is arrested and taken away, Peter, his boy, his friend, Completely denies him. He does something he swore he would never do. He's, he's terrified of what might happen to him in that moment, and so he denies that he even knows Jesus. Look, look at this. This is Luke 22. Turn your Bible to Luke 22. This is important because this is the guy who's writing a letter to the church saying, Have no fear, do not be troubled. And Peter is writing from a place of personal Experience. Look at what happened when Jesus was arrested. Luke 22, verse 54 and following, it says, then they seized him. It's talking about Jesus here. They seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Peter's kind of off in the shadows, watching what's happening as they arrest Jesus and take him away. And it says, and then they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. And Peter sat down among them. There's a crowd gathered around this at this house waiting to see what's about to happen to Jesus. And Peter's there. It says a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said this man was with him. But Peter denied it saying woman I don't know him. A little later someone else saw him and said you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Go cocks, they didn't crow last night. I went to the University of South Carolina, in case you don't know. Pray for your pastor. It says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is the guy that is now writing a letter to the church it says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. The disciple who denied the Savior is now writing a letter to the church saying, have no fear when you face suffering, even when you face persecution. Have no fear of them or be troubled. How can this be? What changed for Peter? Peter. The answer is simple, and the answer is clear. What changed for Peter is an empty tomb. You see, the resurrection changes everything, especially when we think about suffering. The resurrection changes everything. Everything. Peter goes from being a coward who is denying the king to a force to be reckoned with for the sake of the kingdom because he has been transformed by an empty grave. He has been transformed by a savior who willingly suffered to defeat suffering by rising from a grave. It changes everything for Peter. He grows in gospel confidence. He becomes a spokesman for the early church. Just read the book of Acts. Acts 2, Peter stands up, preaches the first sermon in the church. 3,000 people place their faith in Jesus on that day. Acts 4, Peter is arrested. He's taken away. He said, stop preaching. Shut up about Jesus already. Peter says, how can I be silent? Based on what I've seen and heard, keeps preaching gospel confidence. Why? Because Peter knows that his Savior has suffered and died on his behalf and has defeated suffering and sin by rising from the grave. And he has a confidence in this Savior and a confidence that suffering is not ultimate? Do you have a gospel confidence? Do you see the finished work of Jesus in the empty grave and know that you have been given a hope that is so much greater and so much more powerful than anything that you might walk through in this life, a hope that gives you a promise for the future? The empty grave changes everything. Because it reminds us of a Savior who suffered on our behalf and defeated suffering through the power of the resurrection. And then Peter, as the text continues, 1 Peter 3, he, he brings our attention to the importance of being a humble, a humble witness, a humble defense for the hope that we have. This great verse, 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Here Peter is saying to those who are followers of Jesus, always be ready, always be ready to talk about what you have been given in Christ, why? Because people are watching your life and they're especially watching your life when you navigate difficulty, when you navigate suffering, And if you have hope in the midst of suffering, you are providing a picture of something that is unusual. You're providing a picture of something that is different than what the world often experiences. You see, we need to be reminded here. I need to be reminded here. We all need to be reminded here. Every day we are around people who are looking for hope. Again, that may be you today. That may be why you're here. And every day we are around people who have placed their hope in things and placed their hope in other people that continue to disappoint them. And as a result, you've seen this happen. There are people in your life, there are people in my life, they grow more and more cynical. They grow more and more jaded. They grow more and more bitter. Because the things in which they have placed their hope, those things have failed them. And the word of God is saying to those of us who are followers of Jesus, you've been given an opportunity. You've been given an opportunity to be a demonstration of hope, a hope that will never fail, a hope that does not disappoint a hope that points us to eternity. A, a hope that shows us the promises of God. Always be ready to give a defense. That statement, make a defense. That, that, that statement in the original language is apologian. It's where we get the English word Apologetics. That's that's defending the faith. That's that's explaining what we believe and and what the Bible says that leads us to what we believe and then why we believe what we believe based on what it has meant to us personally. The way an attorney would make a defense in a trial, that's that's what this is talking about here. Always be ready to to make a defense, to, to demonstrate a case for the hope that you have. Because people are longing for hope. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have given a hope that does not change and a hope that does not disappoint. So demonstrate that hope. Hope is powerful. It's a beautiful apologetic. In your life, when you struggle or suffer and still have hope, it is providing an apologetic, a defense of the faith an example of the faith that someone needs to see. Are you pointing to the hope that you have? Do you have a hope that's not built on circumstance, not built on things, built on the finished work of what Christ has done? I'm so grateful that when Peter talks about this and says to the church, you're always to be ready to give uh, an account, a defense for the reason, for the hope that you have. He then says, but there's a way to do this. The way you do this matters, in fact. Do this with gentleness and with respect. Now, this is just a, a moment of pastoral confession here. Whenever I hear this verse, I was reminded of this this week in preparing for this message. Whenever I hear this verse, Always be ready to give a defense for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. I'm always reminded of a time in my life when I completely failed in this. So I'm just going to lay it all out there for you, and you can judge me later. But be gracious with me. So when I was in college, I've told this story on many occasions. But when I was in college, I, I, was, I had a relationship with Jesus. I, 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 was, I was seeking to live out my faith at, at the University of South Carolina. And I, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make an impact on the campus. And so I was praying, okay, how, how do I do that? And So I felt very strongly, I felt very strongly that I was supposed to go join a fraternity try to live out my faith in the midst of a very dark world that is often Greek life on the college campus. And I'm telling you, at the University of South Carolina, it was a dark world, very dark world. My fraternity brothers were wild. This was not a Christian fraternity. We had some guys that were Christians in the fraternity. I'm so thankful for those guys. But we had a lot of guys that were doing crazy things. In my junior year of college in the fraternity, I moved on to the fraternity hall. We had a fraternity dorm So I'm living there in the midst of all this just chaos and darkness. And I'm trying to be an example. I'm trying to live out my faith. And and there's guys who don't understand why in the world do I follow Jesus? Why in the world would a Christian be in our fraternity? What are you doing here, man? Like, what's that all about? And there was one specific guy in our fraternity, man. I could not stand this guy. He's just one of those guys that like, it was like he felt like it was his job to make everyone else miserable. You ever been around that type of guy? I mean, he just loved to give people a hard time. And he would, he would jump on anything that he could to make someone miserable or feel foolish. And, and, and my room was just across the hall from his room. And he did not like the fact that this, this Jesus guy was living across the street or across the hall from him. And like, like it was messing with his fun and the things he wanted to do. And so he would come at me. He would come at me and he would come at me. Megan and I were dating at the time and, and each night when, when we'd be hanging out, I'd walk her back to her dorm room on the other side of campus and he'd be waiting for me when I got back to the hall, just making fun of me. You, what, what's wrong with you, man? You're not a real man. You don't have your girlfriend spend the night. Like, What's wrong with you, man? I got so frustrated with this guy. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to put this in his face somehow. And so I found this sticker. This is so dumb, but I found this sticker It said, real men love Jesus. (laughs) And I put it on my door. So that every time he walked out of his door, he had to look across the hall and see the sticker that says, real men love Jesus. And I'm telling you, he did not like it at all. I was glad he didn't like it. Right? I'm telling you, I, I, I was frustrated here with this guy. And so one day he comes out of his room he sees that sticker, he's like, So George, are you saying that I'm not a real man? Kind of bows up. Are you saying that I'm not a real man because I don't I don't love your little Jesus. And I just had enough. And I was like, that's right. I think you're a joke. I think you're a wimp. And he's like, oh, you call me a wimp? He's like, yeah, you heard me. I'm calling you a wimp. And he pushes me. And so I did what any good Christian witness would do. I pushed him back. And then adrenaline takes over, and the next thing I know, we're like, we're like in a full brawl in the hall in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> and my fraternity brothers, like, come run in. They have to pull us apart. He's saying things I can't repeat. I'm thinking things I can't repeat. I mean, it's, we're fighting, right? Now, here's the deal. It's a funny story, but I also don't like to tell that story. Because for the rest of that year, as I lived on that hall across from that kid, he avoided me like the plague. And I had lost any opportunity to ever share good news with him. I really had lost my witness with him. I gave him a great reason to never listen to anything that I would say about my faith. Do you know why? Hey, I was making a defense, I was passionate. I was zealous, but there wasn't an ounce of humility. There was no gentleness. There was no respect. So as a result, he could completely tune out anything that I might want to say about a relationship with Jesus. And and I just wonder how often we in the church, in our passion, lose sight of the fact that we have been called to speak the truth in a certain way. Because it's hard to be around people that don't agree with us. It's hard to be around people who, who don't share our beliefs. It's hard to be around people who, who might make fun of us or ridicule us or or attack us because of what we believe. And so our tendency can be we gotta bow up and, and we gotta go to Facebook and post something really aggressive, and we gotta get in their face, and, and maybe we have to wrestle. And sometimes with some good intentions, we actually become a barrier to someone hearing and receiving the good news that they need to hear. And so the Word of God says, hey, be ready. Please be ready and, and give a reason for the hope that you have and, and make a defense, but do it with gentleness and respect. There is a way that the good news needs to be shared. May we, may we have a humble defense as we talk about this reason for hope that we have. Then Peter takes us verse 16 and 17. One last thing we'll look at before we go today. He brings us really back if you will to an eternal perspective here in these verses. It says having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, it's going to happen when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it's it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Here Peter is reminding the church, there's something more that you're to be focused on here. You're to live with an eternal perspective. And, And what does that eternal perspective say to the one who is a follower of Christ? It says this, a life without suffering is waiting for you. That's an amazing thing to hear. None of us want a life of suffering here and now. And when we suffer and point our eyes to eternity, we are reminded of this incredible promise that a life without suffering is waiting for you if you are in Christ. The Apostle Paul writes of this in 2 Corinthians four, verse seventeen. He says, "For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." As we look to the things that, that, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Oh, how we need to hear this! For the things that are seen are transient; they are here today, they are gone tomorrow. But the things that are unseen are eternal. An eternal perspective is a gift in the midst of suffering because it reminds us that a life without suffering is waiting for us if we are in Christ. I love this quote from commentator Juan Sanchez. He says, We will likely suffer as Christians in this world, but that suffering is slight and temporary compared to the eternal inheritance that awaits us. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we die and receive our promised inheritance. That's an amazing statement. If you're in Christ, the worst thing that could happen to you is that this life comes to an end and you receive the promised inheritance of eternity in a life without suffering. That is good news. Can you imagine how emboldened Christians would be if we only believed what Peter is saying? How would your life, conduct, and words be different if you really did not fear anything because you knew that the worst that could happen cannot happen to you? You cannot lose God's love for you. Remember, Peter says here if you suffer for doing good, you will be blessed. There is nothing that suffering can take away from what God has promised. This is where we need an eternal perspective. This is where we need to be reminded that what is waiting for us beyond this life if we are in Christ is so much greater than anything that we could possibly imagine. And at the same time, Peter then reminds us that that evil is going to be dealt with. The evil of sin that causes suffering is going to be dealt with, God is going to punish, or as Peter says, put to shame those who are evil. What is this all about? That, that sounds like a very harsh statement. What, what, is, what is Peter trying to remind us of here? Well, Peter is saying, look, sin always leads to suffering. Sin always causes us and others around us to suffer. We, others are impacted by our sin and suffering comes because of sin. And because God is just, because God is holy, he requires that sin, all sin, be paid for, be be punished. God is not mocked. All will be held accountable. This means that, that anyone who causes suffering of any kind at any level because of their sin they will face punishment. The word of God talks about this punishment as eternal suffering being separated from God. And please don't miss this. And this is where we close today. There is good news. There is good news called the gospel It says to you and says to me, even though we deserve this punishment because of our sin that causes suffering, if we will trust in faith and receive the gift of a Savior who suffered and died for our sin, then we can know, we can know because of what Christ took on his back at the cross. We have the promise of a life without suffering waiting for us. This only comes through trusting in what Christ has done. He suffered and he died so that that our sin and the suffering that sin causes could be dealt with as the as the perfect demonstration of both justice and grace at the same time. That's what we see at the cross. And because the cross is not the end of the story, because of the good news of the empty grave, we have been offered a promise for eternity, eternal life, a life without suffering, a hope that lasts beyond this life in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I close this morning's message just asking this simple question. Do you have a reason for hope? Do you have a reason for hope when you think about eternity? Do you have a a reason for hope because, because you have trusted in a Savior who suffered and died for you so that you can live? Do you have a reason for hope? If you're here today looking for hope, you've been offered a reason for hope and his name is Jesus. And if you will trust in what Christ has done for you, it will change everything. And you will have the promise of hope beyond this life, the promise of a life without suffering. You will have the love of God that can never be taken away because of what Christ has done for you, As we think about this hope and we think about the good news of what Christ has done, let's have a word of prayer to close this message before we conclude our time together this morning. Father, I am so grateful for the hope that you give us even in the face and in the midst of suffering. I am so grateful for the confidence that a follower of Jesus can have because of the good news of the gospel, even in the midst of suffering. Lord, there are some among us right now that they need that confidence. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would draw near to them. Father, I'm so grateful for the invitation that you've given your Church, the people of God, to, to provide a, a humble defense to the world around us for the reason for hope that we have. Lord, I pray that we would see that. I, I pray that our eyes would be open to the opportunities that we have to, to point to hope, the, the, the opportunities to point others to what you have done. Lord, give us eyes to see. And Lord, when we think about it's an eternal perspective, For those who are in Christ, this is is such a gift. It is such a a privilege to to be reminded of the hope that we have beyond this life. Father, I know, though, there are some among us, anytime we gather, there are those among us who who they've been longing for hope, they've been looking for hope, but they never have have been able to find a, a true and lasting, sustaining hope is unchangeable in this life and provides a promise for what's beyond this life. And so Lord, for any among us who, who have been looking for a reason for hope, it is my prayer today that they would see the finished work of what Christ has done through the cross, through his suffering, to pay for sin. So that through the empty grave, as he defeated sin and suffering, There could be this invitation to the gift of salvation and the promise of eternal life to come. I I pray, Lord, for those who have never received this hope that today would be the day, that you'd give them eyes to see and the faith to step out and say, Jesus, I I need this hope. I need what you have done for me. I'm trusting you to forgive me of my sin. I'm trusting you to to be the one who suffered for me so that I can live. And Jesus, we thank you. And when people cry out to you for hope, you always answer. We thank you for the hope that we have because of what Christ has done. We lift all this up in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we say amen.